All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for your word, and uh, we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts now, Lord, um, by your Holy Spirit, and uh, just have your way with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, reading th- we're, uh, we're reading through the Bible in a year, according to the little tracks that are on the back there, if anybody wants one, uh, feel free to grab them. And this week we've read Ezekiel 17 through 36. Next week we'll read 37 through Daniel 12, looks like. So um, anyway, you can read ahead if you like. Uh, But tonight, um, I thought it might be fun uh, to look at uh, in sort of an, a little bit of an overview fashion, Ezekiel 26 through 28. Uh, because, as you know, um, much of Ezekiel is uh, the word of the Lord to Ezekiel, prophesying uh, basically warnings against uh, the nation of Judah, uh, much like um, we see in Jeremiah. Uh, but Ezekiel is actually, if you remember, Ezekiel is physically in Babylon. Um, having been carried off with the earlier waves of captivity uh, of of captives prior to the final destruction of Jerusalem, so if you keep dates in your head, if you're if you're so inclined, the final fall of Jerusalem was in 586 BC. All right, but there were there were sort of three phases of the of the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem, uh, and basically in the first route. They came in and they took off a bunch of captives, took a, basically took them into Babylon in 605 BC, and then the second time in 597 BC. And then um, finally they came in, they sieged uh, the perimeter, uh, which was a, um, sort of a classic military strategy. We'll talk about that tonight as it relates to Tyre. And um, basically they surround the city and starve the people out and let them, you know, either die slowly or weaken slowly. And next thing you know by, well, it's not the next thing you know because it's a year and a half later. <laughs> a year and a half later, uh, Jerusalem is so weakened and, um, and just basically uh, weakened to the point of uh, they're defenseless. Uh, then the Babylonians come in. They, find, they do the final destruction of Jerusalem, carry everybody off to Babylon and... Uh, and including their king and all of that. So um, as an overview of that, you, you recall how that works. But anyway, Ezekiel is in Babylon really starting in 605 B.C. So he's prophesying from Babylon. You've got to remember, you know, no Internet, no communication necessarily. So he doesn't necessarily see what's going on back in Jerusalem, but he's, he's seeing it as a vision from the Lord. And so uh, we see a lot of that. So anyway, that's a lot of the, of the overview of Ezekiel. But there's a specific section, chapters 26 through 28, about the nation, uh, well, the city-state of Tyre. And I think there's maybe some fascinating lessons we can learn uh, about these chapters as it relates to Tyre. And if you would, think about, as we read some of these words, think about, um, and I'm not a doom, I don't like to be a doomsdayer or a cynic, um, but you know what somebody says when they say I'm not a doomsday or a cynic then they proceed with something that sounds like doomsday uh, cynicism right so I'm not a doomsday or a cynic but um, um, 
as I read these words, it kind of sounds like America, frankly. And I think there's a thing where, you know, we grew up in school, at least I did, you know, I kind of learned American history in my mind. I think of America as an invincible entity that's been blessed by God and will always be blessed by God and we're entitled to be blessed by God and it's pretty much indestructible and and we know that a kingdom like like America will will stand forever, right? And then you go you get a little older and you study world history and you think you know, there've been a lot of people that thought that, right? The Babylonians thought that, Alexander the Great thought that, Jerusalem thought that, Rome thought that. Uh, you know, so you get the idea, right? And so this is not as a doomsday, but maybe as a warning to us, maybe as a, as a, a picture of sobriety, and not that we walk out of here bummed out, but that we walk out of here saying, you know what, I think the wise thing to do is to trust the Lord, right? As individuals and as a nation. Is that fair? So we see Tyre as an example of, uh, of what not to do. Uh, that's, the, that's the intro to that. Um, but along the way, I think there's some great, great lessons that uh, hopefully we can glean. So if you think of it like this, 26 we're going to talk about, and again in overview fashion, chapter 26 we're going to talk about what happened to Tyre, 27 we're going to talk about why it happened, and 28... Uh, who we're talking about, the king of Tyre and, and uh, sort of the, the force behind the king of Tyre. So what, why, and who? All right, everybody ready? All right, chapter 26. And it came to pass in the 11th year, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, who was the gateway of the peoples, now she's turned over to me. I shall be filled. She is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and it will cause many nations to come against you, as the sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. Now, you may recall Nate talked about this uh, prophecy He's actually talked about it a couple times. It's fascinating. And so I'm just going to basically steal what I learned from Nate. But first of all, I want to point out, he says, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, aha. Now there's a couple of examples in the Bible where God uh, punishes Jerusalem or punishes a certain people group and the neighbors... The neighboring nations say, aha, nana, 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 you got what you deserve, uh, whatever the sassy response is. And then that brings about a rebuke from the Lord for them, right? The classic example is the Babylonians, right? The Babylonians uh, went a little too far. The Babylonians were used as instruments to the nation of, of Judah, uh, but then they kind of took it a little bit too far. They sort of enjoyed it too much, and then God had to deal with them. And so, you know, we have lots of, um, in our world today, we have lots of people that maybe we disagree with in various contexts, right? It's not very hard to find somebody you disagree with about something, right? And uh, except you always, you always agree with me about everything. But other than me, there's always somebody you can find somebody to disagree with about something. And oftentimes, as honestly, 
as in many ways our society becomes polarized, we should fight against that. Even as we maybe stand strong in our convictions, let's say you have a certain you know, conviction. I'm not asking you to, to weaken in your stance on that, but I'm asking you, and I, and I think, I don't even want to go into it all specifically, but I, th- I, I see one coming even as uh, it relates to public health, honestly. Um, you know, I see, you know, uh, the vaccine people are like, uh, the anti-vaxxers are idiots, and the anti-vaxxers are like, the vaccine people are idiots, right? And you see all this playing out, and, well, I'll just say it out loud. Um, there's a rise of COVID in vaccinated people, right? Here's what we're going to see. If that, if that continues, here's what I would like to not see amongst any of us. Ha! Ha! See? I told you. I know you are, but what am I? Right? All that stuff, Right? There's no place for that, really, right? I don't care how strong we are convicted on one way or the other. There's really not a, that's just really not a healthy dialogue. But there's something in human nature that always has that dialogue, right? So Tyre had this dialogue about Jerusalem. They were thrilled to watch the Babylonians thump them. And uh, so God said, mm, that's not going to work. He says, many nations will come up against you as the sea causes its waves to come up, and they, many nations, shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I I will also, notice this, scrape the dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. That's kind of an interesting picture, right? So hold that thought. He goes on, look up at verse uh, 7. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he's the one that destroyed Jerusalem, king of kings with horses and chariots and horse, with horsemen and an army with many people. He will slay with the sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers because of the abundance of his horses. Their dust will cover you. And your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons, and the chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that has been breached. And so, specifically, these verses 7 through 10, uh, Ezekiel talks about, God talks through Ezekiel, that the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, are going to come, and, they're, and basically it's a pretty clear description of a siege uh, against the city of Tyre, which is kind of how they've dealt with other enemies like Jerusalem, right? And sure enough, uh, after the siege of Jerusalem in 586, then they went on up to Tyre and began a 13-year. Can you imagine being sieged for 13 years? So the Babylonians surrounded. You got you to gotta at least be amazed at the resilience of the, of the Babylonians, honestly. So the Babylonians put a siege around Tyre, for 13 years. Here's the problem. Tyre was on the seacoast, right? You may, may remember this when Nate talked about it last year. Tyre's on the seacoast. So during that 13-year time, the people of Tyre, right? The Babylonians got them surrounded. The people, they think that the people of Tyre are being starved out for 13 years, right? Well, what they're doing during that 13 years, they're building a, a new settlement sort of off the coast, 
because they, they reside there on the edge of the Mediterranean coast. And so they're a quarter mile off the coast. And sure enough, at the end of 13 years, the Babylonians come in and they decimate the city, but there's basically nobody there. They're off in the ocean, quarter mile, right? So in a sense, this prophecy about Nebuchadnezzar came true, right? He came in, he killed the people that were left there in the mainland. Uh, he built up a siege. He, he tore everything down. He destroyed the city. He did all that. But a good number of the people are out in the uh, quarter mile out in the ocean. Well, then, and so it seems, and I love the way this has been discussed before, it seemed that the Lord sort of partially fulfilled that prophecy in Ezekiel uh, 26. And the part where it says, uh, I will cause many nations to come up against you, really the only one that came was Babylon. I will cause many nations to come against you as the sea causes its waves to come up, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. And I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. Scrape her dust from her. That sounds kind of weird. Well, long story short, a full 250 years later, or 245 years later, something like that, 250 years later, we'll say, Alexander the Great comes along. And he sees this tire out in the middle of the ocean. Well, not in the middle. Quarter mile off, off coast, right? And he takes, uh, he, ha he and his army, they take the rubble from the former city of Babylon and scrape, as Ezekiel prophesied, scrape it into the ocean, and guess what they're doing? They're building a bridge. They're building a landmass on the way out to that, and then they conquer. So how is Babylon, or how is uh, Tyre conquered? By many nations, right? Um, there was a siege. They were leveled, and then they were scraped into the sea. And if you look, uh, I love this. I, I was looking yesterday. If you look on a Google map, Tyre, right? Sure enough, there's the, and if you look at it close, there's a little, little sort of, it's now, you know, because time, time has happened, but, you know, basically it looks like a little peninsula, right? There's the edge of the coast, and out here is like this settlement, and uh, on the maps I was looking at, uh, that little uh, intermediate part is called Alexander, Alexander's uh, Causeway or whatever, Alexander's Bridge, and it was because Alexander the Great scraped that stuff off. The point is, a literal fulfillment of Ezekiel 26, right? How does God like to fulfill prophecy? Very literally. God loves to fulfill prophecy very literally. Now, some things are metaphors and all that, but uh, just know that God loves to uh, fulfill prophecy literally. And so, um, so Tyre was destroyed. Tyre was destroyed because they said, aha. But how about a little more detail about why Tyre was destroyed? Look at this. First tw chapter 27. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, now, son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyre. So like a mourning, like a funeral dirge, right? Take up this mourning song uh, for Tyre, because we're, we're going to be sad for them. And say to Tyre, you who are situated at the entrance of the sea, merchant of the peoples on many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. 
They took a cedar from Lebanon and made you a mast. Of oaks from Bashan, they made your oars. The company of Asherites have inlaid your planks with ivory from the coasts of Cyprus. So he's kind of painting this picture. It's sort of a word picture, if you will, of Tyre as this magnificent ship. And the ship is so beautiful and so strong and so, um, you know, so invincible that the people of Tyre thought that they were invincible. Fine embroidered linen from Egypt was what you spread for, sa- for your sail. Blue and purple from the coasts of Elisha was what covered you. So purple, you know, purple dye was uh, uh, an incredibly luxurious item, and Tyre was famous for uh, being makers of purple dye. They were famous for their, um, for their navy, for their commerce, for their wealth, for uh, just all their prosperity and all their worldly success. Tyre was uh, perhaps the most powerful um, uh, city-state in, in the known world at that time, and they were very proud accordingly. Inhabitants of, Ty- inhabitants of Ty- Sidon and Arvad were your oarsmen. Your wise men, O Tyre, were in you. They became your pilots. Elders of Gibal and its wise men were in you to caulk your seams. All the ships of the sea and their oarsmen were in you to market your, your merchandise. Those from Persia, Lydia, and Libya were in your army as men of war. They hung shield and helmet in you. They gave splendor to you. Men of Arved with your army were on your walls all around. And the men of Gamad were in your towers. So all these other nations around um, sort of looked up to Tyre. They wanted to do business with Tyre. They, they, um, they envied Tyre in many ways. They hung your, their shields on your walls all around. They made your beauty perfect. Tarshish was your merchant because of your many luxury goods. Uh, you may know Tarshish, uh, many people believe, was Spain. You remember Jonah? Jonah got on a ship. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah went, w- got on a ship to head to Tarshish. The idea is Jonah wanted to get as far away as he could, right? And when you think f- as far away as you can, you think Tarshish. And so many people think Spain. Some people even say uh, Britain, uh, which would have been a long way off from the Mediterranean area. But anyway, um, the point being, people as far as Tarshish wanted to do business with with Tyre. Um, They gave you silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. Javan, Tubal, and Meshach were your traders. They bartered human lives. Notice that. They bartered human lives and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Those from the house of Togarma traded for your wares with horses, steeds, and mules. These men of Dedan were your traders. Many isles were the market of your hand. They brought you ivory tusks and ebony as payment. Syria was your merchant because of the abundance of goods you made. They gave you for your wares emeralds, purple embroidery, fine linen, corals, and rubies. Judah, all right, Judah. Judah and the land of Israel were your traders. They traded with you for merchandise of wheat, of minneth, millet, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus was your merchant, that's up in Syria, because, they have, because of the abundance of goods you made because of your many luxury items with the wine of Helbon and with white wool. Dan and Javan paid for your wares, traversing back and forth. Wrought iron, cassia, and cane were among your merchandise. Dedan was your merchant in saddle cost for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your regular merchants. They traded with you in lambs, rams, and goats. The merchants of Sheba and Ramah were your merchants. They traded for your wares with the choice of spices, all kinds of precious stones and gold. Haran, Cana, 
Eden, the merchants of Sheba, Assyria, and Kilmad were your merchants. These were the, your merchants in choice items and purple clothes, emerald, embroidered garments in chests of multicolored apparel and sturdy woven cords, which were in your marketplace. What's the point? They were super wealthy. They were super wealthy. They were super powerful. They were the envy of all the other nations. And that in and of itself is fine. But it made them proud. It made them proud. It made them proud. Now, I always wrestle with this because I grew up um, saying the Pledge of Allegiance in school, right? I grew up saying that it was, it was the right thing to be patriotic, and I'm not saying it's not, but, you know, even now that's kind of become part of the social dialogue that it's kind of like <clears throat> it can be twisted and weird and everything else, right? But I, I think I find myself more and more shying away from that word proud. And I think we should probably shy away from that word proud. But for us, it's been kind of ingrained into us a little bit, if we're honest with ourselves, that we should be proud to be Americans. We should be proud and with that pride comes a little bit of entitlement that we, in fact, are invincible. We are the, fa we are the holder of the dollar, right? In a, in a worldwide currency uh, uh, scenario, right? It's all about the dollar. Everything's compared to the dollar. We hold the economy. We hold the, you know, we would appear to hold all the strength. And that's no criticism on America or anything like that. But I think that sometimes we've got to be careful and read the, read the lessons from nations like Tyre that it's all right to be powerful. You know, sometimes, uh, frankly, we were born in America. We were all born privileged, right? And to a certain extent, we've got to just deal with that, Right? We shouldn't be ashamed of being privileged. We shouldn't be ashamed of being Americans. We shouldn't be ashamed if God chooses to bless us in certain ways. Um, but we've got to be very careful that those are the things that are sources of pride nationally and personally if we're not very, very careful. It clearly happened to Tyre. It clearly happened to so many nations throughout biblical history. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's the common theme of a nation that rises and falls in biblical history, pride. Usually it's God's blessing and then pride. If you want a microcosm of it, look at the book of Judges, right? God blesses, then there's pride, and oh, by the way, God who? And then God brings the judgment, right? And then there's repentance, and then God blesses, and then we say, God who? Because we don't need him anymore, because, uh, you know, we're self-sufficient, and then God brings judgment, and this whole cycle, and, at the, and again, I've said it a million times, the last, last verse in the book of Judges says it all. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That that, in my mind, that defines our society today. 
I mean, we don't have a president. We have, we have a government. We don't have a king, you know. But, but in a sense, I might say, in those days, there was no spiritual king in America. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's not too far off of reality in terms of society. So, heed the warnings of, of Tyre. Verse 33, jumping ahead. When your wares went out by sea, you satisfied many people. You were happy to sell your stuff to everybody. You enriched the kings of the earth with your, with your luxury goods and your merchandise, but you are broken by the seas and the depths of the water. Your merchandise and the entire company will fall in your midst. All the inhabitants of the isles will be astonished at you. Their kings will be greatly afraid and their countenance will be troubled. The merchants among the peoples will hiss at you. You will become a horror and be no more forever. That's the destiny of Tyre, right? And, uh, you know, they can't, they can't place their security on their money, in their merchandising, in all of that. And uh, that's really uh, the state of affairs for us. You know, if anything, if there's a silver lining in, in the whole COVID thing, and again, I have a very, please, I have a very sober um, just a tremendous sobriety towards COVID and all of the, all of the, all of the manifestations of it. And there are, there are layers of manifestations of it. But one of the, if there's a silver lining, in my mind, it's this. And I think as Christians, we need to be aware of this and, uh, as the New Testament tells us, ready to give an answer. But the reality is, the silver lining in my mind is, everybody now realizes that this world is not quite the rock foundation that we thought it was. I can't quite count on this world to deliver me in times of challenge. I can't count on the stock market to sustain me. I can't count on the environment to sustain me. I can't count on health care to sustain me. I can't count on public policy to sustain me. I can't count on monetary policy to sustain me. Those are all great things. Those are all great things. And honestly, I don't know that that message would have ever gotten out by any other means. Maybe it would have, but it seems to have gotten out by this means, right? And so, um, for what it's worth, I mean, if that's an opportunity to say, you know what, I do know where stability is, I do know where security is, I do know where you can place your trust, and his name is Jesus, then that's a great silver lining from COVID. Chapter 28, briefly. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God. Now we're going to talk about what's referred to as the prince of Tyre. Really, there was, uh, most commentators say we're talking here about the king of Tyre, okay? Um, at this point in time, uh, it's a little hard to get uh, from 
commentaries, but it would appear that at this point in time, the king of Tyre is a, a man by the name of Ithobel III. All right? So, like, if you were going to say Isabel and you had a lisp, you'd say Ithobel III. Okay? So just remember it that way. Ithobel, literally, I, no, I can't say it. <laughs> Ithabel literally means with Baal. Does that make you feel a little bit creepy? It should, right? This is Ithabel the third. Ithabel the first was the father of Jezebel, right? Now, if you ever want to paint a, a picture of a guy and make him creepy, right? Any Bible teacher will tell you. You've got to figure out a way to tie Jezebel into the story, right? So if we can get Jezebel into the family line, we're painting a creepy picture, right? So this guy's grandfather was the father of Jezebel. So that means she was his aunt, right? So kind of a creepy line of people. They're named, their name means with Baal. Uh, they are, this guy is the king of Tyre, the nation that is uh, proud enough as we described. But here's what he said. Here's, so here we get into a little specifics. More than just the fact that they were rich and prosperous. He says, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up. There you go. Because your heart is lifted up. Please, please, please. And here's our problem. We are a blessed people. However you choose to define it, we're a blessed people. And with that, we've got to resist the temptation to say, I'm blessed because of whatever. I'm blessed because I'm smart. I'm blessed because I'm industrious. I'm blessed because, you know, I, I work hard. I'm blessed because I do this. I'm blessed because I do that. We're blessed because God has chosen in his sovereignty to bless us. Simple as that. But not for our heart to be lifted up. Because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the midst of the seas. Now notice he doesn't even say, I am the God. He says, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods. This guy's not, he doesn't need to be all God. He's content to be a God. And if you think about it, in our day, as individuals now, so we talked about the nation, now we're talking about individuals. As individuals, we may never say, I'm a God. But we might say, you know what? I'm going to create my own destiny. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this. I'm going to, you know, whatever. And in a sort of a creepy, subtle sort of way, sometimes when we do that, we are making ourselves like a god. And um, there's a very dangerous fine line of self-sufficiency, and all of a sudden we forget who God is. But he says, your heart's lifted up. You say, I'm a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God. Simple as that. 
We are a man or a woman, not God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you're wiser than Daniel. Now, some people say that this guy, Ithabel III, was very, very wise. Other people say this is divine sarcasm. Personally, I think it's probably divine sarcasm because Daniel was, you know, he was the epitome of wisdom. Uh, and he would have been a contemporary of Ezekiel during this time. Behold, you're wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you've gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries by your great wisdom. In trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. See the common theme here? Riches are riches. Are riches. They're just, they're a thing. They're a tool. They're a resource. But they're not a source of... Uh, of they shouldn't be a source of pride for us. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you've set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Now this, this is divine sarcasm. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a god in the hand of him who slays you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. You know, the one way to make sure that it's crystal clear to get the message across, to prove to a human being that he's not a god, there's one way to definitively prove that to him. What is it? Kill him. Right? So God says... You know, when the guy's got the sword to your neck, are you going to tell him, I'm a god? No. That's when you come to reality, the fact that you're a human, right? And so that's what God is telling this guy. Uh, into the, you know, you're a man, not a god. In the hand of, a, of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised. And so, uh, sure enough, Ithobel III um, most likely was uh, killed by the Babylonians um, in Nebuchadnezzar. Now, verse 11 to, the, to verse 19 is a very fascinating part I want to just address briefly. Uh, here he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now, wait a minute. I thought we'd been talking about the king of Tyre. Well, we have been. But the scripture uses these words, prince and king, kind of um, intentionally, right? Like, prince was really about the king. It wasn't, you know, he didn't have a prince that was ruling necessarily. It was the king that is described in those verses. Uh, it, was a, it was a description of Ithobel III. But the idea that he goes from prince to king, now he's going to be talking really about the force behind that king. And so watch here. Verse, 11, verse 12. You were, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Who might that sound like? Satan. So what we see here, he says the king of Tyre, but really the idea, the contrast in the wording between the prince of Tyre and the king of Tyre, it's like the, king is, the prince is really a description of the king. And the king is really a description of the force that's behind the king. Does that make sense? 
And so uh, really what he's talking about here um, uh, can't be, ex- in my mind, can't be reasonably explained by anything other than this is really a description of Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was, on your, was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, uh, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. If you're an underliner, underline that word created. Satan was created. Satan was created. Satan is not like the alternative to God. Satan was created. God is eternal, right? Satan is subordinate to God. First John says, greater is he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, God, than he who is in the world, Satan. You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones." Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You become a horror and shall be no more forever. (coughs) So, Satan's destiny has been declared. It's not yet been fulfilled, but it's been declared. And so, really, this is one of the two descriptions in the Bible. The other is in Isaiah chapter 14. We won't go there for tonight. Uh, but if you, if you like memorizing trips, we've got Ezekiel 30, uh, 28. What's half of 28? 14. Isaiah 14. What's twice of 14? 28, Ezekiel 28. That was for Nate. Uh, But anyway, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, talk about, you know, Satan was, was created. He was a beautiful angel. He was in, in, he was in heaven and God cast him out. God, God cast him out because iniquity was found in him. And so sure enough, there he is. He shows up. Now, interestingly, and we won't go into, I don't want to go into a lot of detail with it, um, but at the end of Genesis chapter 1, God saw that all that he had made, including man, and it was very what? Good. Is the fall of Satan very good? No. So this would have happened somewhere after creation, before Genesis chapter 3 when he shows up in the garden. All right? Why does that matter? Because it's important that we take the word of God literally, because that's how it was written. And um, you don't have to mess with the creation story to get Satan kicked out of heaven. Right? And so Ezekiel 28 tells us this was the force that was behind Tyre, the king of Tyre. And it was pride 
as a result of all of his beauty, all of his wealth, all of his prosperity, all of his success. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And as God blesses us, you know, sometimes we'll experience some of those things, but they can't be a source of pride personally or socially. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you uh, that you give us these examples. Uh, you give us good examples of, of folks to learn from in the Bible, and you also give us negative examples of, of warnings. And so we thank you for these, uh, these examples that you, that you show us. Lord, help us to be uh, very discerning. Help us to be very watchful. Help us to not be entitled as a society. Help us not be proud as individuals. Help us to lean on you. Help us to not lean on uh, any other institution or, or any bit of worldly security, but on you and you alone. Please have your way with us, Lord. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.